Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Um, today's class is Mashiach Matters, combined together with Parsha in my life. Um, it, it, for those who listened yesterday on the live class yesterday, this is really a repeat class of yesterday's. It's just that I felt that yesterday's class uh, was a little bit, a little scattered, uh, and I didn't deliver the goods the way I wanted it. So I'm actually very excited about what, about the subject, but uh, it needed some more. Uh, preparation and more, more development and yesterday's was very raw and therefore if you listened yesterday you might just skip this class unless you want it sharper and clearer if you didn't this is a very 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 exciting subject I want to dedicate this class and my father is dedicating this class in honor of his mother's my grandmother's yard site Chaf Aleph Adar her name is Hannah Tzivya Bas Rabbi Cheskel. I literally grew up by her uh, in many many ways she lived with us her husband passed away before I was born. I'm named after him. And she was so much part of my childhood and all the most beautiful memories I have from being a young kid. It's from my grandmother. We called her Baba. Uh, just an incredible woman. So may this be a big schus for her neshama. It's the yard site of the Holy Rebbe Lamelech of Lezensk. Because she was a real chsidish woman, deeply connected to Rebbe Lamelech. And so this should, the schusim of Rebbe Lamelech, schus of my grandmother, should enable this year to be special and meaningful and inspiring and also to help continue the work of spreading the light of the inner light of the Torah and to hasten the redemption which is so much upon us. Okay, as mentioned um, you know, many times in the past that when they asked the Balatanya, Rabshner Zalman of Liyadi, uh, when is Mashiach coming? He answered, you will read about it in the newspapers. And the meaning is that when you're seeing, of course, it doesn't mean simply, okay, they'll read it in the newspapers. He meant to say that Mashiach is a certain purification that takes place in the world. Mashiach is not an otherworldly thing. Mashiach is the transformation of the world that we have now as the world kind of reaches its ultimate state of purification. And therefore, the real coming of Mashiach is measured by reading about it in the newspapers, meaning the, the newspapers is the world is the voice of the world, and when you look at the news, and the news is consistent with the parsha, consistent with what it says in the Torah, then you see, um, then you know that Mashiach is here. It doesn't necessarily mean it will say that Mashiach is here, but when you're reading the stories of the week and you're seeing in it what it says in the Torah, then you see the two of them are completely aligned. The world. Creation and the Torah are completely aligned, and that's Mashiach. Mashiach is when the Torah completed its job of rectifying and sublimating the world. So if we take a look a little bit at the news items that happened in the last week, um, it's pretty interesting. You know, 
uh, Purim was an last week was Purim. Purim this year was super exciting because out of nowhere there was an announcement, a tweet, a tweet coming from the president, uh, a lovely tweet, a refreshing tweet about Eretz Yisrael, about the Golan Heights, in which he declared that the Golan Heights should be the undisputed territory of Israel. No more, no, it shouldn't be considered anymore as it's been considered for 52 years. Occupy territories from now on, it is part of Israel proper, part of Eretz Yisrael. And later on Monday, um, in the White House, he met with uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and he signed that as an executive order and then has the full force of the United States um, legitimacy. President has a right to do that. He did it and now that's the way it is. Um, obviously that made lots of people not so happy, but for the Jewish people that is really, really, really good news. Um, and now they're actually going to fix the maps. The State Department has maps of the way, you know, the legal kind of the way the United States looks at different places in the world, places of disputes, they're going to change it. And again, this is after 52 years when this, when this was not acknowledged. And now it was suddenly, without any warning, out of nowhere came this Purim gift to the Jewish people. So that's one of the main things that was in the news. Another interesting item in the news you might have missed was on Friday, connected to it, um, there was declared again uh, from Washington, I think it was again the President's office of the White House, that ISIS is officially destroyed in the sense that they till now they held on in the beginning in, 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 in 2014, 2015, 20, uh, they had conquered huge, huge swaths of land in Syria and in Iraq and claimed it to be a caliphate, to be their caliphate. And this was a, a obviously the most murderous group of people that we've seen and weren't ashamed of their murderous intentions and they were actually publicizing all their horrific executions and bloody executions and beheadings and whatnot and putting it out for the public to see it was horrible and it was getting stronger and stronger and then slowly they became their their caliphate was became diminished and diminished and diminished until it was declared on Friday that their last stronghold that they were holding on to in a little town, little city somewhere in, I think, northern Syria, Caputo, is gone, and they don't they have they don't have any more footage, boots on the ground, any more actual real estate. They haven't been eliminated as a terrorist group, but they don't have any more land that's theirs. Now that's amazing, good, good news for all peace-loving people and all people who want a world full of laughter and peace and light and not of bloody murder. The other, of course, interesting news that came out over the weekend was the Mueller report in which the president has been investigated for two years, in which uh, we were told again and again and again that there was clear, clear and strong evidence of collusion with the Russians, which would delegitimize the entire uh, Trump administration that turned out, again, delivered on Friday on Shushan Purim. Again, the dates are very important that all of this was, there's no evidence of collusion. The whole thing is not unfounded. And therefore, the elections of 2016 is valid and legitimate, at least the way it stands now. Of course, there will be, and I don't know if there ever will be those that will completely concede to this idea that, say, that so many, that there are those who so disliked and or disliked is not the right word, or hated with the worst kind of animosity 
this current president and this current administration. And, but, and their claim has always been that he stole the election, was unfair through illegal uh, activities. It was revealed that all of that is unfounded. And obviously they did a very, very, very good Badika Hametz. Uh, Mueller uh, that was investigating, uh, no one is gonna argue that he was a friend of Donald Trump, of the president, and um, he did whatever he can to unearth and to uncover every possible lead to be able to find the obstruction of justice or the collusion. And so far, uh, he, he couldn't come up with anything substantial, neither regarding collusion for sure not, and regarding obstruction of justice, he didn't have the, um, the evidence to, cl- to claim that there was any of that. So that's some major, major news. So these are just a couple of the news items that happened over the week. And again, this is not a political show. That's not what I'm about, and that's not what this center is about, not what this class is about, to take sides in political aspects. But we are a Torah, and the inner light of the Torah organization here, in which I'm trying to teach that which Hasidus, the light of Kabbalah, the inner teachings, the esoteric element of the Torah reveals about the purpose and the direction of creation. And the question is, are we seeing certain things that are happening over here? Now, another very important item. We're now in the middle of news item. We're in the middle of the APAC uh, conferences, or maybe we concluded it. I'm not exactly sure where we stand today. But this week, they had this big, big, big yearly APAC uh, convention in Washington. And the interesting thing is that APEC was always bipartisan. It was always attended by people on the right and people on the left. This is the first time, this is also another important news item, the first time in the history of APAC, the United States, that even though Democrats and people on the left did attend the APAC um, convention, and uh, the head of the Democratic the, 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 the Democratic Party in the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, even spoke over there, Chuck Schumer spoke, and so on. But the contenders for the, for the 2020 election, the presidential contenders that are now already out there, I think there are five of them, or six, or maybe more, but those that are serious. Uh, it's the first time that they did not make this a campaign stop. They did not come to the APAC convention, which is a huge, 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 huge red light. It's basically clearly, clearly saying that at least a very, very great majority of the Democratic Party has seemingly abandoned their support for Israel. Uh, uh, of course, the, the word is, as we're reading, is J Street came out with a declaration that it's Bibi Netanyahu's fault. Uh, you know, his policies, which basically is policies to hold on to the land of Israel and not give it back. When I shouldn't say the word back, not give an inch of land to, to he, and, and even that he's not strong enough, but at least uh, he's been holding pretty strong till now, uh, not, to, uh, not to recklessly give Arabs land in Eretz Yisrael. Um, obviously, people on the left don't like that. They want to see a two-state solution, and even if it means tearing up Jerusalem and the like, and therefore, it's becoming more and more increasingly evident that they're moving in a direction away, and this is including that the new representatives, Talib, Omar, Omar primarily, who are outright uh, anti-Israel, and Omar that has said all kinds of uh, anti-Semitic vulgar anti-Semitic statements. And um, we've seen in the past, recently that the, the, the left side has not stood up to this, which is something to be concerned about. 
And we definitely don't want an American public split. The one thing that Israel has always had was the unified support of the United States of America coming from both parties. And now we're seeing that one party is only becoming stronger and stronger in support of the land of Israel or of Eretz Israel, and the other party is slowly, or maybe not even so slowly, dwindling and moving apart to the point where the party is moving so far left that Nancy Pelosi, a liberal from San Francisco, um, is considered today the moderate voice in the Democratic Party. So the question is, these are all the facts. I think facts, I don't think I'm adding any commentary, just plain simple facts of what is going on. And the question is, what does this mean? Is this saying something? Is there something um, deeper to what we're witnessing and what we're seeing? So I'd like to suggest that, the, that this is all in this week's parsha. It's very, very clear in this week's parsha, uh, but it, it takes the study of Panimi Satora to me to get a little bit deeper and to be able to realize what's happening. And this is actually good news in the sense that this is Moshiach news. This is indication, I should say, that we have literally arrived at the threshold of the redemption. And I'm of the opinion, I mean, it's not just my opinion, I've been saying this again and again, that we don't need any more signs. We've, we, we should have had the complete redemption years ago. Only God knows why it didn't happen yet. Fully, fully revealed to our eyes. But this is an extra um, illustration or demonstration that we are literally, the Geula is unfolding in front of our eyes. So to take all everything we spoke about together and, and unify all these things and see how they're all part of one idea. Let's take a look. This week's Parsha is Parsha Shmini. And Parsha Shmini, the Torah talks about the kosher and the non-kosher. And um, it lists, you know, it says two signs for kosher animals. In order for an animal to be kosher, it needs to chew its cud. And it also needs to have split hooves. Mafra says parsa, which means split hooves. And malagera, it has to chew its cud. And the Torah goes on to list four types of animals that have one kosher sign. Three of them have the sign of having chewing its cud, but not having split hooves. And that's the camel, and the rabbit, and the hare. Uh, different chamashim in the English, they have different translations, but that's... Uh, that's um, one of the translations. In any case, so these are the three animals. Then there's the fourth animal. And the fourth animal is the symbol of non-kosher. And that's the pig, the chazer. Chazer is the opposite. It's mafreses par, parsha. She has split hooves. But the pig does not chew its cut. Ma'gera lo yigar. Doesn't split its cut. And therefore, it's not kosher. And in, throughout, you know, in the Jewish world, we know that the ultimate sign of keeping kosher is you don't eat pig. Even though there's so much more to kosher, but you don't eat pig. And Jews that would even eat not kosher, many, many, but pig, many of them have at least the sensitivity not to eat pig. Because pig is the ultimate sign of the not kosher. But here's a st an astonishing fact. And that is that the Midrash tells us, and it's, uh, and again, it's questioned exactly what the source of this Midrash is exactly to pinpoint it. There are many variations that are coming close to this exact phrase. But the way it is brought down in later Svarim, much later than the Midrash, the Shalaha Kadosh and the Chasam Sofer and the Zalman and Liyadi in Sefer Torah Or and in the Kuti Torah and in, um, in the Ramah Mepano and Orachayim HaKadosh and so on and so forth. 
is they all state a statement that says as follows. Asid chazer li toher. That the future chazer pig will become kosher. Asid chazer li toher. Pig will become kosher. That means when Mashiach will come, we will be allowed to eat pig. Now, obviously the question is, how is that possible? If the, the Torah doesn't change, the Torah, the laws of the Torah are forever. Zosa Torah, loisehe mocholafes. It's one of the 13 principles. The Rambam, Maimonides, set as one of the Jewish fundamental belief systems in the Jewish people that um, that the um, uh, that uh, the, 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 the Torah doesn't change. The laws of the Torah will never change, even after the coming of Mashiach. So they explained. The Rachaim says this, and the Ramam Apamish says this, and the Chassam Sofer. Okay, so we have three solid, powerful sources. They say that the nature of the pig is going to change when Mashiach comes. In other words, the law won't change. Any animal that only has split hooves but doesn't chew its cud is not kosher, but that's the pig of today. When Mashiach will come, the pig will transform. And the nature of the pig is it will begin to chew its cud. So that's why we'll be allowed to eat the pig. Other commentators um, bring this idea, and they actually say, why is it called Chazir? And they say, one of them bringing in the name of the Medish, that um, a, a, a phrase which says, Hashem is going to return it to Israel. Hashem is going to bring the pig back to the Jewish people. Um, but what does that mean? So the, um, the Rakanti brings this. So does the Ritva in Kedushin of Memtes. He brings this Agada. It says in Medrash that the wise have called Chazer because Hashem is going to return it to Israel. Rabbeinu Bachaya is phenomenal. Rabbeinu Bachaya from the great commentaries early Rishonim. He brings this idea, but he says that this is, should not be understood in the literal sense. In other words, he does not see this as a, a, a koshering of the pig, making the pig actually kosher. But he says that this is referring to the spiritual, what the pig represents. This pig represents um, the, all the animals are referring to various different powers in the world. And they also refer to the, those physical manifestations of these those certain negative forces, forces of darkness that there are in creation that are meant to be rectified and meant to be fixed. So, um, and which manifest as, have its physical re- representation in this world as various different peoples. On the three, the me- and the Medrash actually, Parshas Vayikra, the Medrash mentions this in Parsha Shmini, Perak Yud Gimel in the Medrash, where the Medrash says clearly that the four animals specifically enumerated in the parsha, as we spoke earlier, the, the rabbit, the camel, the hare, and the pig, are all representing the four exiles, the four empires that exiled the Jewish people. There are Babylonia, the Greek Empire, uh, Persia, the Greek Empire, and finally, the Roman Empire, Edo. And the pig is corresponding to Rome. And therefore, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, when we say that the pig will become kosher, means that even though we have suffered under the Romans unspeakable brutality, persecution, and suffering, abuse like no other nation has ever abused us, we were abused by the Romans, and those who come as continuation of the Romans through our blood-soaked history, through the Middle Ages, and so on and so forth, we were persecuted by the Christian world in a horrific, horrific, horrific manner. But in the end... That chazer, that pig, will transform and will become an ally and a support to the Jewish people. The words of Rabbeinu Bechaya, this is really, really awesome. He uses the words of Abir Ingenau, its power 
he causes a, 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 um, um, a pain and constriction to the Jewish people, and in the future, he's going to return with the kochos, he's going to help the Jewish people. Peace will be increased in the world. Unbelievable. So Rabbeinu Machai says, it's the forces of, of Edom, which is the force of Esau. In the piece before that, just a few lines before, he actually says that Edom is going to build the third temple. Now, I don't know if that means physically they're going to build it, because we know that either, according to Rambam, Mashiach has to build it, according to Rashi and Tosvos and the Zohar, the Beis Hamikdash, is going to come down from the heaven, or it can be they will be either supporting it financially, or be helping and assisting and setting the stage for the third Beis Hamikdash to be able to be built. That's what it says. That Esau, which has been such an arch enemy of the Jewish people until throughout our, uh, uh, as we said, throughout our long and treacherous difficult and, and, and um, excruciatingly painful uh, exile, in the end, at the very, very end, Edom will turn around and become a huge support for Israel, for the Jewish people. So that's the meaning of the pig becoming tahar. The Medrash actually uses the term also that the reason, the meaning of male gera, of ahula yigar, is that, the, the, that we say about the pig that it does not chew its cud is actually a positive idea is that the other nations chewing their cud means after they were done abusing the Jewish people, they handed over the baton of abuse to another nation that will abuse, continue the abuse of Israel. But, he says, Esav, who gave Eloyigar, and as once he's done with his abuse, he will not continue to abuse, to continue this, to pass it on to some other kingdom, another empire. However, um, he will, and he will, the reason he's called Chazar is he will return the crown of leadership, of kingship, of sovereignty to its rightful owner, and that is, that is Mashiach, the Davidic dynasty that represents God's kingship, and then Hashem is going to be the king forever. That means that Esau has a certain purification. Esau, which is Edom, has a purification at the end of days. That is the story of the pig. Um, now, the, the uh, Kabbalists um, in Kabbalah, if you take a little deeper, when we look at these particular four anim animals that are mentioned, they characterize the difference between the th initial three animals and the fourth animal, which is the pig, and they say as follows. Because why is it that the pig is going to become kosher from all the other food? The other ones also have a sign, but the other ones have the opposite sign. They have, they chew their cud, but they don't have split hooves. But the pig is the opposite. And we say, yet the pig will be rectified, which is re reference, as we said, either to the actual pig, that it will become, it will change its nature, or it's referring to both the pig and its spiritual a force, but definitely it is referring to the forces of the pig which represent the whole world of Edom, which by the way, when we talk about Edom, we talk about Rome. The Abar Benel uh, um, establishes in, 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 at great length how when we speak about Rome, Rome, even though the Roman Empire fell, but the exile of Rome continued through the inheritors of Rome, which translated from Rome as a Roman Empire to the Christian West. So it means all the various places with the Jewish people and obviously concludes with the Western world today 
which is led by the United States of America. So that's a very, very important idea to realize. And we're saying that this is this, um, this is represented by the animal called the pig that is going to have an, an elevation that is going to be, be elevated. So let's just keep that in mind as we go further. Now the Kabbalists tell us that the four animals that we're talking about represent four powers of darkness that there is in the world. And they characterize, they say it as follows. In, there is, um, um, there is a, when, Ye, when Ye, Yecheskel Hanavi um, saw the chariot, it says he saw the chariot of God, and then around the chariot, which are all the angelic beasts and so on, and around that he saw a certain element called Noga. Noga means from the word glowing. But it is something that's blocking, that's to a certain degree acting as like a shell, as a cover for what he was seeing happening behind that shell. So the Kabbalist, and then it says, he, he heard a Ruach Sa'ara, a powerful eastern wind, a fire, and a very dark cloud. And they were seemingly surrounding this glowing light. So the Kabbalists explain, and based on Arizal, maybe many other sources of Kabbalah, that there are, in general, all the forces of the unholy are called klipa. The reason they're called klipa, klipa means shell, is because the word klipa actually expresses the best way what every element that's negative and unholy in this world, what it really is. We can't say that there's any other power other than God. And therefore, without the divine energy, without godly input, everything is, is meaningless. There's no life, there's no existence. So in every reality, there has to be a spark of the divine. We will speak about divine sparks. So what's the concept of klipa? Of how can you have unholy things? Unholy things, the best way to characterize them is a klipa. A klipa is a shell. A shell means it's not up in front. It's not being honest with you what it is. If you're looking at a shell of a nut, for instance, let's say it's a completely closed nut, a pistachio that's totally closed, especially a walnut might not occur to you that you can crack it open and there's some kind of an edible fruit inside of it. And it definitely doesn't want to tell you that its whole, that its entire existence is to protect something inside of it. There's no hint to it. If you're looking at, a, let's say, a grape a, a, a peel, well, the, the peel of the grape is translucent that allows you to see what's inside. But a real thick and opaque shell covers completely. So everything in this world that is evil and unholy is that it's concealing and obscuring God. That's why it's called shell. So by saying it's a shell, we're saying that there is something else there, but it's concealing and hiding it. Why and how God creates such an entity that basically is antithetical to the power that's creating it is not the discussion for, for today's class. But that's the reality. That everything in this world, either it's holy, is holiness. Holiness is whatever doesn't have a shell on it. Holiness is something that is explicitly godly, like an angel. When you, if you encounter an angel and you have a five-minute meeting, you will walk away very God-conscious after you have that discussion with the angel because the angel is a conveyor of truth of the divine. He's a messenger of the divine. That's why angels are holy. The Jewish soul is holy. Why is the Jewish soul holy? Because we all have Jewish guilt. We all have a Jewish conscience. Our soul innately doesn't need to learn about God. It knows Hashem innately, our whole, our neshama. The fact that there can be a Jew that is in denial of God is because he's just, he or she is just not in touch with their soul. But the soul, in essence, is innately godly conscious. 
and is devoted 1,000% with all of its heart and soul just for one purpose, to serve its creator. So the soul is whole. How about the entire material world? All of material existence. The entire physical reality. So the physical reality doesn't speak of God. When you encounter, you have a meeting with a stone, when you walk down the street and you see a mountain or a hill or just the sidewalk, it's not reminding you of your creator. It's not when you look at it the first second and say, hey God, how put you here? Oh God is creating you and there's purpose to life and meaning. No, it's not that way. Quite on the contrary, it's making us forget. The material physical world seems to claim existence other than a creative force that's creating it. That's why it's a shell. It's blocking on God. Same as the tree, the same as a cat, the same is the sky, the same is... So basically the entire physical world is part of Klippa. Part of Klippa. So really it's the entire physical existence. Unless we work on making it holy. Unless we use it for... Now, now, doesn't mean that anything physical is not holy. We could make it holy. For example, a Sefer Torah is physical. A Torah scroll. And where does a Torah scroll come from? It comes from a cow. Is a cow holy? No. A cow on its own has nothing to do with explicitly speaking of God's, of Hashem and the purpose of creation. The cow is here to munch on grass, to mate, and to, you know, just live its life for itself without anything higher in its consciousness, in its expression. Oh, but when I take the cow and I turn it into a Torah, then the Torah is expressive of God. Oh, so then I made it holy, now it's holy. I changed the dynamics of the cow and I turned it to something holy. So physicality could be holy, but in it of itself, before we touch it and before we transform it and before we develop it, it is unholy. The Kabbalists, however, say that there are two levels of that klipa, of those shells. There are shells that are translucent and there are shells that are opaque. Translucent means a little bit light passes through. And therefore, even though they might not be in a state of divine expression and godly expression, but they have potential. There is a, enough of goodness, of potential, the clip of the shell that's on it is not so dense and not so thick. And as a result of that, it's easy to penetrate that shell and expose the divine purpose and the godly spark that's in it and reveal holiness in it and make it holy. Uh, um, that's one kind of shell. That's called klipas noga. It's a glowing shell. That's why it's called glowing because a little bit light passes through. If I use the example of a grape seed, when you're looking at a grape or a grape peel, you can very much see the fruit even though there's a peel that's blocking because those, a grape maybe is too transparent. Let's take some other kind of a fruit that gives you more like a, let's say a tangerine, an orange peel. Even though it's a peel, but you get the idea that there's a fruit there. It's not so obscuring. It's not like the walnut. That's very, very, very obscuring. So the, the, then there is the three impure clippers. The three impure clippers. Now, when I say three, let's be, and they represented by, as we spoke earlier, the, 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 the anon, the, the, the thick cloud, the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the wind, and the fire. Uh, and they're all the three impure clippers. I want to just uh, mention, it doesn't mean that one is lower than the other. They're all three in the same category. And that is that they obscure the divine completely. That means these are forces that are so evil and so dark and so anti-God that they obscure God completely. Now, do they have any manifestation? Obviously, they're spiritual forces. Spiritual powers in the world that are the underlying drive of evil. There's forces of the snake, of the Samachmem, of the Sitra Achra, of the other side. These are really, really, really dark entities. Yet... Um, and do they have any manifestation in this world? So it says in Kabbalah and Tanya in the, in the, in the, in the uh, 
fifth and I'm sorry, sixth and seventh chapter in the beginning of the book of Lakuti Amarim, you can have a, a long discussion on this idea. And these, that were represented by all things that God in the Torah says are not kosher. All non-kosher animals, they all derive their energy. Obviously everything is coming from Hashem, but it's passing through this thick screening process and filter of klipa, and it places that concealment on it, and that's why it becomes a dark entity. Something very, very dark. And therefore we can't elevate it. So therefore the God says, keep away from it. Since you can't direct it towards holiness, quite on the contrary, if you're going to get involved with this dark, dark matter, it's going to darken your soul. It's going to make you as an neshama, as a holy Jew who has an innate consciousness of God, forget God. It's going to make you dismiss God. If you eat something non-kosher, you're very, very likely afterwards to think, to forget, you know, to forget about God for a week and live a to- in a total godless state until maybe that non-kosher gets out of your system. And some of it obviously becomes part of one's a person's flesh and blood. That's why it's so terrible to eat non-kosher. But it's not only non-kosher food. It's every physical action that we do that the Torah doesn't approve of. The Torah says you're not allowed to do, do something. For instance, when a person is violating Shabbos, okay, if you're driving a car on Shabbat, on Shabbos, which we're not allowed to do, at the moment that the person is doing that activity, that action, the person is now experiencing physical energy that's motorizing his hand, his feet, in the action of violation of Shabbos, that energy is coming from a very dark place from the klipa of the three impure klipas. The person is not being energized now from the klipas noga part, from the um, elevatable shell. The person is now being, the person is now being um, animated and enlivened by the three dark klipas shell, which is really, 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 um, which is, which is, which is, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do. So that's, that's the idea. We can take a look at all of creation, all of existence, and say like this. Most of the things, most of the physical universe is, first of all, everything to begin with is klipa, is unholy. When I say unholy, it doesn't mean it's excruciatingly, it's, excru, it's, 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 it's extremely bad. It just means it's not telling you the truth. It's lying. It's not speaking of a creator. We could make things holy. And when something is, becomes a holy object means it's an object that a mezuzah, a Torah, an act of a mitzvah, these are all things that are holy. Then the rest of the world exists in two categories. That which is from the glowing shell, it obscures God, but we could add godly content to it if we use it for the right purposes. So for example, if I take a kosher piece of chicken, which was slaughtered according to the laws of kashrut, and I eat that chicken and I make a blessing. Everything was created with your words, including this chicken. And then I'm using that energy that I get from the chicken to go ahead and to help a person. To do tzedakah or to help any other kind of mitzvah that I'm doing or to visit the sick. And I'm doing it because God commanded me to do so. So what I'm basically doing is I'm elevating that chicken. That that chicken too is being elevated to holiness. And so on and so forth. So that's the kosher. Then there are the non-kosher stuff. Stuff that we should not engage, we shouldn't touch, we shouldn't get involved with because they're three impure klipas and they're very, very dark. So what do we do with those three impure klipas? We ignore them. And by ignoring them, how do we ignore them? By not allowing them into our life. Now they will try as hard as they can to get into our lives. That's very important. The three impure klipas will always try constantly to enter into our, into our conscious zone, into our, into our space. The reason why is because, as mentioned earlier, they have no energy of their own. Everything they receive is from God. Now, in order for them to vitalize and get extra energy, they need to get closer to a godly source. 
So that's why they're trying to hack and get into your space and you'll give attention to them, you, me, all of us. We're constantly, the constant seduction that we have from things that are not good, that is constantly entering today's days in the internet, it's constantly flying through our eyes. This, here, this, that. When wherever we're on the street, there's all kinds of stuff that are constantly suggesting Pay attention to me, open up your eyes, look over here, read about me, do this, do that, eat this, think this, do that, and so on and so forth. These are all things, if we give attention to them, then we're giving it energy, we're giving it validity, and we're giving it, we give it strength. And we cause forces of evil to become stronger and more powerful in creation. That's why the best way to live is to just follow the Shulchan Aruch, follow what the Torah, law of Torah to the, to the, to the T, to follow it completely, because then we know we're avoiding all impact. We're basically creating the biggest firewall. We're not allowing the klipa to get into us. Uh, now the question is, why do they have to come to us? Why can't they go directly to holiness? Now, the truth is, we are holy. We have a soul. Because, why? the Gemara says an interesting thing, I discussed this in other classes, that the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, um, leaves the non-Jewish people alone and primarily comes to start up with Israel, with the Jewish people. In other words, if you're Jewish, you have a... <laughs> You have an evil inclination that's 10 times stronger than any other human being. And if you study Torah, guess what? You're going to have even a bigger evil inclination. And if you do mitzvahs, because, the, because then your action, you have far more holiness inside of you, and you have more energy, and therefore you're a hot target for the klipa that they want to hack your soul, my soul and all of us, in order to get, to get energy from us. So that is, that is the reason why they're always coming. And we have to be very careful not to allow them to gain access. When we don't allow them to gain access, we suffocate them. And when they suffocate them, eventually they die. What happens with the rest of the world that is kosher, which by the way, most of the world is kosher in terms of time and space. Minerals, water, um, most vegetations, all kosher. There is a few things in vegetation that is not kosher, but all the, all the mineral world, unless it was designate, designated for idolatry, but all of the mineral world, all stones and stuff, it's all kosher. That means all that could be elevated for holiness. All um, vegetation, most of it, I would say 95% of it is kosher. The animal, you have a lot of stuff that are not kosher. Okay, a lot of stuff that are not kosher. And, um, but here's what God did, and here's an amazing thing. How do we, what's our purpose here? Why are we living in such a godless world? We're living in such a godless world, in a Kalipa world, because God had the dream, and Hashem had a desire. He wants to have a home in this world. What's Hashem's dream and have a home in this world? That what? That we will take everything in this world and turn it into, instead of it being an object that's obscuring and blocking God, it should be an object that will reveal and convey Hashem. That is the purpose of creation. Hashem wanted to have a home in the lowest world. For that purpose, Hashem sent our neshama down into this world that we should infuse, inject, and inspire holiness into everything. But as we said earlier, we have guidelines. The three impure klipas, we can't inspire them with holiness. We have to keep away from them. The things that are klipas noga, that we have to work on elevating. How do we elevate it? So the beginning is as follows. The first elevation happens our bodies. Our bodies are klipa. The body is not holy in and it of itself. And in, in addition to the body, we have a, we have a, but our body is klipas noga. It's the klipa that is elevatable. In addition to that, we have a nefesh Bahamas. We have an animal soul. That animal soul, which is not our higher consciousness, it's the motor of our body, all physical actions, thought, speech, and, 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 and deed, especially action, physical deed, is motorized by this engine, spirit, that is the engine of the body. It is from the klipa element, from klipas noga. Okay? Now, when we use, when our neshama directs our body to do a mitzvah, and to do holy, godly things, 
then we're taking the energy of the klipa, klipas noga, and we're elevating it to kedusha. So there's a certain space, and if you live 70, 80, 90, 120 years, and all of your actions are with holy intention, geared, emanating from your soul, not being inspired by the body, but being inspired by the soul. And, and um, then, being inspired by the soul, hearing a ringing here. Um, when they're being inspired by the soul, meaning coming from a holy place, and then, um, uh, and done with what? With our physical energies and physical body. So we sublimate that to holiness. But it's not just that. God made us in an interesting way. He made our bodies, because that would only elevate our our space, how much space is a Jew in this world? Just how many Jews are there? 14 million, 21 million? I'm not exactly sure, but it's not that many. How do we impact the entire universe? And the answer is God has made our bodies to be dependent for its very sustenance. In order for us to live, we need to have, we need to integrate into our life and into our existence elements from the outside world. We need food, constant food. We need oxygen to breathe. We need food. And the food comes from what? The stuff that's out there, from vegetation, from animal. That's what we have to so we have to intake. And when we take this in, we act as transformers. Because we take all these things that are, before we got involved with them, not holy, we bring it into our bodies, use it for holiness, we elevate it. All right? Fine. But not only that, we also need shelter. So we use the materials of the minerals, stone, and so on and so forth. So we're elevating all these things. But it really goes much, much, much further than that. Because every time we take, a, because you'll say, okay, even if you have millions of Jews who lived in this world throughout the ages, so let's say we'll go from the beginning of time until today and say that there were 200 million Jews in all time. Still, compared to the entire universe, it's, it's a tiny little minority, including all the food that we've eaten. And maybe that's why as Jews we like to eat so much. And so all the food and all the clothing, it's still, the majority of, of mankind, of humanity is not the Jewish, is not directly involved with Judaism. So therefore, how is all that elevated? And the answer is an amazing thing. Tanya says, he, listen, this, this is so, so important for, the, for, what we're, for what we're talking about. And Tanya says like this, each and every one of us has a section of the universe that belongs to our soul. I don't know how, you don't know how, mystically it's connected to our soul. It's wired up with your soul. How much of the universe is tied up with your soul? Well, he makes a calculation like that, as follows. He says the 600,000 root neshamot of Israel, which were the ones who went out of Egypt, those 600,000 neshamas, each one has a corresponding animal soul in this world that we said before is from the, from the unclean realm, from that which is obscuring God, part of the klipa, animal soul, and, and a body, okay? It has been designated by God for each of these 600,000 Jews, one 600,000th of the universe. Entire universe, I'm talking about space and galaxies and every single blade of grass, kernel of, of sand, um, everything, every animal, every, every creature, every fish in the ocean, every single cell in the entire universe 
is somehow plugged in, is divided into 600,000 sections, and every Jew has a one, one six hundred thousandth to repair. Now, but those were the 600,000 Jews who went out of Egypt. Now take each one of those souls and divide it into another 600,000. Me, you, all of us, anyone listening to this class that is Jewish, you have a six hundred thousandth of a six hundred thousandth of a portion of the universe. Somehow you impact it. How, what, where, and when, I don't have to know. I'm just giving you a little example. If you ate a bowl of cereal in the morning, let's say it was cornflakes. Those cornflakes came from Ralph's, and there are people who are working in Ralph's, and they're stacking the shelves. You're elevating them because they provided you with the cornflakes, and those cornflakes you made a bracha shahakulimidvari, they become elevated. But they themselves ate food. The food that they hate, which is maybe it's not kosher, you can't directly elevate it, but because it became part of their body, and they're supporting you with the cornflakes, so now that gets elevated. Now, the truck that brought the, the cornflakes to Ralph's has, has tires, and the tires have, or has screws and bolts, and those were made in Indonesia, or in, who knows, we're in Thailand, very far remote from any Jewish experience. And those people have been eating whatever food they've been eating. And they worked in a factory. And all those people in that factory ate rice. And that rice grew in a farm who knows where. And all of that, all those people will become elevated. And the sunlight which was, which was involved, the rays of the sun, which was involved in producing the rice that these people ate, that produced the, the, the bolts that became part of the Ralph's truck that brought the cornflakes to you. And at one time, you eat the cornflakes with the right blessing and use the energy for the right thing domino effect, all of that gets elevated. And that's how, and only God is the one who orchestrates all of this, and that's how we elevate the entire world. Why do we elevate? All elements of klipas no God get elevated to holiness. The three impure klipos that are not elevatable, they get separated and separated and separated, and eventually they get concentrated into small groups of evil and darkness. And then the more separated they become from their source, the more less life they have. And eventually, once the entire klipa noga gets elevated, they lose their life completely and they dissolve, they disintegrate. Because the Tanya says like this, this is in chapter 37 in Tanya, very phenomenal idea. He says like this, the three impure klipas, the three dark elements, they can't, as we said earlier, they need to receive from holiness. But they don't have direct access to holiness because they're totally antithetical to God. They fight God, so they can't receive directly. They have to receive from back channels. How do they receive from back channels? So what happens is like this, klipas noga, this klipa, this intermediate shell, is a mixture from good and bad, tov and ra. Now, because it has good in it, and has a lot of good, it has access to holiness. So the way it works is like this, and therefore it serves as a medium to pass the energy from the holy to that which is dark. It's a medium. So it would mean something like this. The way it works is as follows. Holiness gives life to the realm of holy. That's Hashem. Then from holiness, it passes on to that which, to the klipa, to the shell, the glowing shell. Which part of the glowing shell, the good of the glowing shell, receives the vitality first? From the good of the glowing shell, it gets mixed with the bad of the glowing shell. But the bad of the glowing shell is not so bad. It's a lesser evil. And but, 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 but the reason why it's a real criminal and the reason why it's really a corporate is because from there it passes on to the three impure klipas. It passes on to the three dark, dark, dark klipot, that which is 
absolutely evil in the world. So it comes out that Klipas Noga is the middle stage. Therefore, when we elevate the world, the Jewish people, and we do as follows. First of all, we reject, we do not allow the Klipa to come close to us by not sinning. Then, we do mitzvahs. The more mitzvahs we do and good deeds we do, we elevate all of Klipa. And this is accumulation of thousands of years of mitzvahs that we do. In which we elevate all of the Klipas Noga gets absorbed in holiness. Once Klipas Noga, the good and the bad separate, and the good gets elevated in holiness, holiness cannot support that which is evil. So evil gets suffocated, its channel gets cut off, its funding gets blocked, and it has no access to receive vitality and energy from the holy, and then automatically it collapses on itself, it disintegrates, it dies, and death becomes disseminated, and decimated rather, and it's gone, and it rots, and it's, 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 it's destroyed. That's how we enter into Mashiach's time, when evil will not exist anymore. And the rest of the world will all be a vessel for Hashem's revelation. This is the purpose of creation and the whole story in a nutshell. If you're going to ask, I'm just going to say something very parenthetically. You ask, but as we're doing mitzvahs, we're also sinning. Everybody knows that we sin from here and there, so we're also at the same. How are we making progress? The answer is mitzvahs that we've done never go away. They always, all the holiness we draw, we can never erase them. Bad that we do does go away. If we do tshuva, we have pain, we have regrets, we say sorry, and through suffering, and the world has gone through suffer, so much suffering, all the suffering that the Jewish people have been through, including the Holocaust and so on, washes away all the darkness. So what's left is thousands of years of accumulation of holiness and elevation of klipas noga, and the klipa is just gets less and less and less. Okay, so now let's bring it back to the parsha, and you'll see something magnificent about what's happening in the world right now. It's unbelievable. And here is as follows: the 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 Kabbalists say. That from the four animals, the three non-kosher animals that are not going to be kosher even when Mashiach comes, they represent the three impure klipas. The chazer, the pig, um, represents klipas noga. That's why when Mashiach will come, it's going to be kosher, because klipas noga is going to be elevated. So the pig represents the... Now, what did we say is the pig? In terms of humanity, the pig represents the Roman Empire, which later translates into the entire Western world which is, at the beginning, a powerful force of atrocities against Israel, against the Jewish people. We don't have to talk about blood-soaked Europe and all the programs that was perpetrated against our nation from the beginning of, from the beginning of our terrible, terrible exile. But then, and interesting, we say, in the end, the Chazar is going to become a support of holiness. Where is that happening? Well, it's the last stage of Edom. The last stage of Edom is the United States of America. We've never had a country that has been so inviting, so hospitable, so nice to the Jewish people, and we owe the United States of America a tremendous debt of gratitude. But I should say this, we're speaking truth today, we're not holding back on truth, and therefore I will say the United States of America should know that all their blessings that they got is because they were a vessel, God designated them to host the Jewish people in the last moments of exile so we can finish our job in rectifying the world and we bring all the blessings to the United States of America and that's the truth. The spiritual blessing and, and blessing of wealth, prosperity and power and might. Yes, Israel has been helping, I'm sorry, America has been assisting the land of Israel in a tremendous way, the Israeli government and with, with, with arms and sending billions of dollars to realize that the tremendous blessing and affluence that the United States has is because of the everything comes from God. It's the it's it's Hashem's blessing. I will bless those who bless you. 
So that is the power of the United States of America. Now, being that it is then considered the pig, and the pig, which is Klipas Noga, which we said before, Klipas Noga is a mixture of good and bad, and our job is to separate the good and the bad from it. We see that the United States of America, notwithstanding its tremendous support for the Jewish people and for Israel, never went all the way. They always stood in this parav zone, in the middle zone, in the twilight zone. In other words, let's say, for example, in the Holocaust. The Holocaust, America was the safe haven for the Jewish people that saved from the Nazis. But on the other hand, the United States of America is guilty for not intervening and, and bombing the trains that were taking Jews, six million or millions of Jews, to Auschwitz and places like that. The State Department knew about this and they didn't do that. So that is a very big stain on the United States of America. But let's continue further. Even in the State of Israel, the United States has always been supporting and helping, but never fully. Always standing in the space of, like we support Israel, but not fully. Because if you support Israel, since when do you have a country that's attacked by its neighbors and gains land, and yet you refuse to acknowledge that the land that they gained in that war is their territory. It never happened in the history of the world. Every country that went to war in a legitimate cause because they were attacked, were allowed to take, were allowed, the land that they won in, in, in war became theirs. And no one ever argued differently. Israel somehow has different rules. Especially since everybody knows, and there's archaeological proofs to it, and biblical proof for sure, and the whole world knows the truth, it's all a fabrication of lie, that Israel has been a place where Jews live for thousands of years. It's our land that was promised us by Hashem. It's been there historically. It's ours. There's no reason. But yet, the United States failed in all these years and they still call the West Bank the West Bank instead of Judea and Samaria. Still, right? And this has been going on through administrations and administrations, supporting Israel, but not giving it its full support. Now you realize something. When a terrorist goes into a Sabara restaurant and shoots up and kills, or bombs, explode, the suicidal bomb or whatever it is, and kills an entire family of Jewish children, a mother, like happened a few years ago, or in a bus, or all the other horrible atrocities, who is at fault? Who did it? Of course the terrorists did it. That's the three impure clippers. But you have to realize there's someone that's empowering it. There's someone that's giving it its strength. It's giving its ability. Who's behind it? What did we say earlier? The three impure clippers don't have energy. They need legitimacy. Where do they receive it? They receive it from their buddy, Klippas Noga, that gives them support, gives them legitimacy. So Klippas Noga, the United States of America included, have been giving support. Why? Because the New York Times and CNN and who else write a narrative and create a narrative as if we are the aggressors, as the IDF, our baby killers, are taken away people's land that really belongs to them. And that gives legitimacy. That tells a terrorist, go up and blow up you because you're fighting for a noble cause. How do you know? Look at these Westerners, sophisticated people, people that go to college, people that have degrees, people that are so smart, the intelligence of the, the intellectuals of the United States, all support the Palestinian cause. So actually, the real blood, the murderers, are those who are writing these articles, and you should know they write them in blood. That's what's being. So, and, and including in that, America is not innocent, because America as a State Department, as a nation, yes, the Congress and so on has always been so supportive of Israel, but never, always like that pig that we said earlier is in between, one kosher sign, one non-kosher sign. But when Mashiach comes, the pig is going to be elevated. That means that the Chazer is going to go complete and full support of the Jewish people and of Jewish causes, so says Rabbeinu Bahaya. So what do we see happening in the world today? An unbelievable thing. The United States in the last two years has experienced a tremendous purification, a tremendous um, clarity. What's happening? You're seeing that half the country is moving in one direction and half the country is moving in the other direction. 
Now, I'm not going to say that what? That everybody on the right is righteous and a tzaddik. No, we saw the Pittsburgh people, we see the neo-Nazis on the right, really, really evil people. Very, very tough. But that's not the general gist of the right party. If you can have the entire Congress, uh, I don't know how many people are in the, uh, senators and congressmen are, uh, belong to the right, the Republican Party, um, maybe you'll find one or two that might have some, maybe, I don't even know if today's days, have some ties to the to the extremist Nazi-like uh, um, um, groups. That's, it does exist in the United States, but it's not. And you say, yes, they find support from this president in the way that they, they, they it's overblown, way overblown, it's not even true, but to, 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 to say that they feel more secure, maybe that's true, but in general, the right side, the president of the United States in the two, 2016 election, which everybody knows by now, clearly it's been a divine intervention. Pompeo said it, Last week, he was interviewed with BB, BBS. He, he said that the, the United States, that the, he thinks, this is his opinion, that God orchestrated the, and put Donald Trump into office. And I think any person with a little bit of intelligence can realize that it was a divine act. The whole story with Comey, how he came out 11 days before. No, I mean, I discussed it in earlier classes. It's clearly that God was pulling all the strings. Donald Trump was the last contender. I mean, he's the last guy that had 16 qualified candidates and all of them fell to the side. No one would believe. He was the, he was the laughing stock from everyone. And yet he took, he won the nomination and then he was up against Hillary Clinton. You're talking about the, such a popular woman, someone that has been in Washington so all that time. And yet her whole campaign failed miraculously and he won the election. It's the hand of God. Okay. And what does he do? Unbelievable. His support to Israel reaches level that we've never seen before. First of all, his announcement of Yerushalayim, which by the way, that's, that's what they need to do. That's what Esau needs to do. It needs to enable the building of the third temple. Like we said over here, well, obviously if Jerusalem is divided, Jerusalem has not belonged to the Jewish people. It's huge what he did when he announced that the embassy is moving to, to Jerusalem and actually did move the embassy to Jerusalem. That was huge. And the dates that he did it on, on Yutas Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, which is a powerful time. And he goes and he frees Rubashkin, which caused such a unity amongst the Jewish people and such a joy and such a, a, a horrible injustice against a, 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 a Jewish person, which was purely anti-Semitic. And he went and he undid that, that injustice. And, but then he continues. And one of the most amazing thing that he did was he pulled out of the Iran deal. Now the Iranians are clearly stating their intentions. They want to build nuclear weapons, they want to destroy Israel. They say it. And this whole Iranian deal, which was absolute farce. You're talking about people that the United States was going to give them billions of dollars just that they do not, for seven years, withhold from building their, their, their nukes. Seven years, what seven years? Even if during these seven years we'll trust them that they actually are, are, are not building their nukes. We don't even know because they have military installations that were off, we can't, we can't, we can't even inspect them. The military installations, which is totally insane. So the United States, so President Trump pulled out of that, literally saved six million Jews living in Israel. He literally saved them. How dare a Jew criticize this president who saved the Jewish people in Israel? It's, it's unbelievable. He does that. And then on Purim, he announces, on Purim, he announces that the Golan Heights is no more contested territory. It's unbelievable. So this is already full support. And what did we say earlier? This is the, to me, it's clear. This is the aliyah of the pig in the sense that that klipas noga, which is that media that needs to be elevated to Kedusha, has been elevated to Kedusha. Has gone up. And what, what, happens, what, what happens when it supports holiness? 
What we said earlier, it cuts off the channels for the unholy. So let's take a look at cutting off the channels. He closed the channels of Iran. He puts tremendous, tremendous financial pressures. He closes their assets here. They can't receive, not only is he not giving them, but he's actually making it very, very, very difficult for their economy, number one. Secondly, he kicks out the Palestinians from Washington. And there was a, a um, consulate in Jerusalem that was the direct access for, for the PLO, for, um, for whatever his name was, no, whatever the guy is, uh, to have access directly to uh, the State Department, not through the, um, the American embassy that used to be in Tel Aviv, now is in Israel. He went and he shut that down. He basically cut down all the flow of energy to the Klippa. And the amazing thing is, what happens? Let's go back and, and let, let's just for one moment appreciate this, because we have to really, really appreciate this and understand as follows. You're dealing with a time period when the winds were blowing the opposite direction, when the general atmosphere in the United States of America was going in the opposite direction. In the previous administration, the Obama administration, which would have been followed by Clinton, who we know was always a pretty strong supporter for the Palestinians. So uh, the, 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 the general attitude was, is the, the United States moves more left than, than ever before. And let, let's, let's just be very clear. This moving to the left of the United States is not only regarding Israel. It was regarding everything that is against Hashem, against holiness. First of all, they disliked with a passion religion. They fought as much as they can to the mentioning of God anywhere. The United States is a nation based on a belief in God. Okay, we don't, we, freedom, of, freedom of worship and freedom of, the, but not a war against religion. So in the previous administration, and there was, I'm not saying necessarily Obama himself, and but there was a tremendous move against the, the awareness and the record and re, 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 faith and religion in the United States. Probably yet to mention Obama. I'm not exactly sure, to, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go there. In addition to that, you're talking about um, family values, a complete breakdown of the way God instituted the way family should be structured. A husband and a wife, a man and a woman get married and build a family. That's the fabric of civilization. When you want to destroy that, you destroy the fabric of civilization. You're basically a war against God. That was the sins of Sodom and Amorah. That was the sin of the generation of the flood. That brought the worst, worst calamities and destruction to the world. They're going so far that they want to completely erase the nature and the definitions of a man and a woman. That's how far they wanted to go. And they force you to have bathrooms that are both restrooms, that are both men and when it's gender neutral. I mean, it's so insane. It's so... Opposite, it's just destruction of the world and humanity and everything. And we take abortion along with that. Everything is just anti-Hashem. Anti and you can understand why they have this craze to fight Israel, which doesn't make any sense. Everybody sees clearly that the, you want freedom, you want people to be able to live their lives, while the Muslim uh, countries are throwing people off, the, off, off throwing gays, uh, stoning them, throwing them off buildings. So why in the world, and Israel is the only democracy in which, sadly, you can have a gay parade, and yet you go and you supporting these, these extreme, extreme ideologies against the one tolerant, peace-loving people that, that, that you, that, that in many ways believe in so many things that you believe in. So it doesn't make any sense for them to fight Israel and to support 
the, the Arab cause, the Muslim cause. So you see, it's all, it's all spiritual. There's a power in the left that is fighting against God. It's an evil that's just there. And if you're fighting against God, you're fighting against God's manifestation in the world. And God's manifestation in the world is through Israel and through the Jewish people. So therefore, you become an enemy of Israel. And that's that whole war. And they're moving so, so, so far. Now, in this state where the United States was moving more and more and more to the left. And by the way, here's an interesting thing. When, remember we said before that the klipa has good and evil in it. And we have to separate the good and the evil. The previous administration was representing that which is the opposite of support of holiness. I say evil. It was supporting the opposite of holiness in this world. Now the more energy there is in the Ra, in the negative side of Noga, the more the Sholish Klipa Satmeyas, the three impure Klipa, get more vitality and more energy. So what happened during the, 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 the Obama administration? ISIS, which everybody's going to agree is the epitome of evil, Okay, what they did with, with, with the Yatsidi woman, what they did in general, they just savages, talking about just absolute disregard for anything human, any dignity, right? They're filming of their videos, what they, what they showed. And they, at the time that Obama became president, they got a footage of land. I'm not saying, I'm not going into the military strategic effects. They were, I'm not getting into the facts on the ground that allowed that to happen. I'm talking spiritually. When you have a nation like the United States that is leaning towards its left side, which is all these, I spoke earlier, all these ideas that are anti-God, then it feeds and it enables the Kalipa to have a tremendous power in this world, the three dark Kalipas. So Isis, which I once mentioned, is if you take the Hebrew gematria of the word Isis, Samach and Samach is 60. 60 and 60 is 120 plus Yud. Isis is 10, is 130 plus 1. Aleph makes 131, the exact gematria of Samael. Samach Mem Aleph Lamed. So that's the amazing thing. Because of the administration that was going on, that's why they became so powerful. And they had... In Israel's backyard, they were creating this caliphate, this anti-Moshiach, anti-Holy Caliphate. Soon as Trump became president, and um, the Klipas Noga moved all the way to the right, because the, the ultimate decider is the governing power. And he's governing from all the way in the right, moving, and again, especially regarding Israel and God and holiness, aspects like this, moving the country very much to the right. And therefore, elevating Klipas Noga to the side of Kedusha, there's becoming less and less energy in the, even though they're making a lot of noise and screaming and shouting, and there's such a commotion like we've never heard. But it's becoming weaker, the energy in that, in that lower side of Noga is drained, and obviously the Klipas are becoming less and less and less. And that's why on the very day that he said Golan Heights belongs to the Jewish people, the very next day it was announced that ISIS has lost all power. That means the Samach Mem is totally suffocated, choked to death. This is unbelievable is what we're seeing. Now I'm just going to conclude with something. This separation of the right and the left in the United States of America, which is very hard for a lot of Jews to accept, because I'm talking about even religious Jews, because Jews in uh, traditionally has uh, many... Jews um, have, have voted Democrat, and therefore have like a very strong allegiance to the Democrat Party. 
And on the other hand, Donald Trump is someone who doesn't have the eloquence of a president, speaks more in a, in a, in a, in a less, let's say, eloquent way. With all the good he's done for the Jewish people, he just doesn't have the classiness. And on the other hand, Obama was like the ultimate man of class. So they would have a hard time seeing this. And to them, it's like, oh, yo, 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 anything. You mentioned Trump, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not. So the, 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 the interesting thing is this separation that we are seeing between the right and the left. The Tzemach Tzedek asks a question regarding, Tzemach Tzedek asks a question regarding the, um, this that we say that the Chazer is going to become Tahar, that the Chazer, the pig, is going to become rectified, become kosher. So the question that Tzemach Tzedek says is there's a medrash in Parshat Truma which it says that there was gold, silver, copper in the making of the Mishkan, but the one uh, um, item that we don't find being used is steel, metal, barzel. He says, why not barzel? So the medrash says, because the Abishter is going to accept a gift from all the nations, but he's not going to accept a gift from Esav. From Esav, that means was compared to barzel, steel, you'll live on your sword. God, Mashiach, will not accept the gift. And it brings a Pasuk. It's a Pasuk in Tehillim, I think in Perek, um, Samach Tes, Ga'ar Chayas Kone. He yells, he, Hashem yells, Ga'ar, he yells, Chayas Kone against the beast of the, of the reeds. The beast of the reeds is that pig, the wild pig, Yechazir Meno Chazir Miyar. It's another Pasuk in Tehillim elsewhere. The wild boar of the pig. God is not from Edom. You cause such pain to the Jewish people. You are not accepting a gift from. So the Tzemach Tzedek asks, how does it fit with this that we're saying? The other Medrash, that Chazer, that the pig is going to be elevated. Tzemach Tzedek doesn't answer. His great-great-grandson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in a a note, in a a footnote, and actually it's a footnote on a footnote, (laughs) says a short little thing, which is astonishing. He says that the Ebushter is not going to allow accepting from Edom until after he yells at Edom. The yelling of Edom is Ga'ar Chayas Kana, that he yells at the beast of the reed, of the reeds. Kabbalistically, it's associated with the fact that when, with, with the long, you know, one of the letters in the Torah is the letter Kuf. And the Kuf has a very long leg that goes down. It's, a Kuf is a hay, basically, but with a long leg that goes all the way down. It says that that long leg of the kuf is the source of the evil of Edom, of the unholiness of Edom. And that's the left leg of the pig that needs to be cut off. The pig doesn't have a long leg, but that's the idea. It's associated with a reed. I'm just going to give very briefly. It's associated with Rome, because it says that when Shlomo Melech built the second temple, it's the first Beis Amikdash, the very night of the inauguration of the Beis Amikdash, he, he, he married the daughter, the daughter of Paro, of Pharaoh. And God was very upset at him. And Hashem sent the Malach, Gabriel, out on that night. As we were celebrating the making of the temple, Hashem laid the seed for the destruction of the temple. The Malach came and took a, a reed and stuck it somewhere next to the coast of Italy. And it started growing and it became like that shoe, or extending shoe of Italy. And the, the Medrash says, the city of Rome was built on that. Does that mean in the literal sense or does that mean in... Um, uh, um, um, what's it called again? Metaphorically, whatever it is, the foundation was on a reed, and that's the reed of Edom. That's that long leg. Part of the tikkun of Edom is you have to cut the leg off. Which leg? It says regal hasmoli, the left leg from the word kana. It's sliced off. 
What does that mean spiritually? There's a certain element on the left side in the United States of America that will separate itself before the, the elevation of the United States. And that's what I'm going back to what I said earlier. The first time in history where the left became so anti-Israel, so anti-Israel that their contenders are so, notwithstanding the power of the Jewish vote, the power of the Jewish money and all of that, yet they could not bring themselves to go to, to, go to APEC. All of them. That shows how far left they are. As I said earlier, Nancy Pelosi is already considered a moderate. The progressive movement is going completely, it's joining with the European anti-Israel sentiment. It's basically going to have Omar as their leader. And that is the complete separation. Now, it says in Kabbalah and Hasidus that the Kuf, there's a word called Sheker, lies. Now, the whole Klippa is really made up of lies. It says in Hasidus and in Kabbalah and the Zohar that Resh and Kuf are the letters that are really associated with the unholy side. Shin is a, is a letter of truth. And the, it spells the word Sheker because in order for lies to have any validity to them, they have to hold on to truth. Truth gives them, the mix a little bit of truth into the lies and has stability. Our job is to separate the shin, the good, to extract the good, the truth from the lie. And the lie remains an exposed lie and it collapses. This whole fight against Donald Trump and to try to undo the election through, through claiming it was illegitimate was all based on lies. At scene, it was all lies. There was, no, there was nothing true. That whole thing was a false dossier and the whole thing was all baloney. And it's going to be revealed more and more. It's going to collapse on its own. Why? Because when you're separating the good, the shin is going in one direction. And um, the, the, the kuf and the reish are remaining on their own. It's remaining cold and rake and empty. The word kar is either cold and empty, cold emptiness. That's what's remaining, sadly, on the left side. And, but on the other hand, the good news is that so much of this country is stepping up in unparalleled support to Israel in a way that we've never seen before. And, and to stand for what's moral and what's right and what's correct. And, uh, but you should know that there's a lot of confusion in the mind. So we Jews need to, need to study and learn and have the clarity to be on the right side and to understand what's going on. May the Abish to help that we should already see the completion of us at Chazir Litoyer, that the Chazir. Now, by the way, it's interesting that this whole idea of chopping off the left side of the Kuf, it's discussed in this year's Sif of Basi Lagani. Basi Lagani is the, the Babach Rebbe became Rebbe, he said a mimer Basi Lagani, and every year he followed his father in law's discourse, which every year is another Perek, and in that Perek, it's, it's, and every year he based it on this year's Perek, which I'm not going to go into why it's this year's that we've studied. Yotrat is all related to cutting off the left leg of the kuf. And when you cut off the left leg, it becomes a hay. Because you're shutting, you're not cutting the whole leg, you're, cutting, you're slicing most of it off. It becomes a hay, and instead of the word kane, which means a reed, a negative reed, it becomes the word hine, 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 Mashiach ba. So now we can clearly be prepared for Chodesh Nisan. And even before Nisan, we should already see the full and complete redemption. May we see it now, now, and now.